Welcome to New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? I know you can do better than that. Come on, guys, it's Christmas. How are we doing today? I knew you had it in you. I really did. Church family, please know this. There's no place I'd rather be than here with you right now. Welcome to New Beginnings Fellowship. Uh, Those who don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Matt. I have the honor and privilege of being the associate pastor here, where it is our heart to radically love, serve, and encourage. Guys, we are in week three of our current Christmas sermon series uh, entitled The King Is Come. Um, It has been incredible thus far. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. Um, I have just been reflecting all week uh, on the fact that it's Christmas time. This is a special time of year uh, for me personally for a lot of different reasons. Uh, One of those reasons is the fact that by trade, I am a teacher. And if I've got any teachers in the house, you know what's getting ready to happen. Can I get a good amen? Man, I am so excited uh, for that time. Not just like time to kick up my heels, but time to... Um, invest, time to invest time with friends and family, people I care about, get to be intentional with that. Uh, We've got some big things around the corner for my family, uh, family gatherings uh, in celebration of Christmas. Uh, I love it. I love this time of year, the things we get to do. I was reminiscing this week. Um, Time together with family is and has always been something that's been really important to us. Uh, something we've always been really intentional about. In the early years of marriage, uh, my wife and I, Amber, we have large extended families. We have large extended families. So what that means, or meant at the time, um, is a minimum in, I would say, the first 10 years of our marriage of seven Christmas family gatherings, which is awesome, right? We get to see all those people that we don't get to see a lot uh, through the year, have those laughs and those, those memories built. But if I'm being real honest, sometimes, especially the days when we'd have multiple back-to-back-to-back on the same day, that could be a little bit stressful, but I wouldn't change it for the world. So many memories uh, that have been built. So many incredible times. Uh, I was trying to remember some of those times, and I could talk about um, the memories that have been made, especially the shenanigans for hours uh, a few that came to mind, I remember uh, one time, somehow, that I still don't fully understand, uh, my wife was left unattended, and that's never a good idea. She was in the kitchen with a, at my parents' house, uh, who were in the house this morning. Uh, she was left unattended with a two-liter Sprite, and somehow, some way, she managed to explode this two-liter of Sprite, and it was like a loaves and fishes moment. There was way more than two liters of Sprite spread ceiling to floor in that kitchen. I don't know how she managed to do it, but it was everywhere. When I say floor to ceiling, I mean, it was on the ceiling. It was crazy, just dripping. And I I think that place was sticky for about a good six months after the fact. Um, There is uh, this inside joke with me and my cousins. We're not always the, you know, as we have grown and our families have grown, we're not able to get together as much, especially around Christmas, but we'll usually see each other once, maybe on a good year, twice uh, a year, because a lot of them have moved away. But inevitably, no matter what, there's something that's guaranteed to come up. And that is the inside joke of, hold it up, what does that mean, Matt? I didn't explain it in the last service, and they told me either let us in on the joke or 
don't bring it up. So I'm going to let you in on the joke. Um, we would have these, you would be uh, my grandparents and my parents and my aunt and uncle and me and my brother and my sister and my cousins and all of our kids, you know, the room full of about nearly 20 people and we would go one by one opening gifts and uh, dad would go into this monotone after someone opened it. He'd go, hold it up. And they'd have to hold it up and show it proudly. And it didn't matter what the gift was. They had to hold it up. Whether it was grandma opening a necklace or my three-year-old uh, little cousin getting a tricycle, they had to uh, hold it up and show it off no matter what. I, I remember uh, this, this other time. Uh, don't pour dad under the bus. You, didn't, you wouldn't have came if you knew I was doing this. Uh, one time he was walking through a present and littered living room, a present and uh, gift wrapping littered living room, and he decided for reasons unknown that the best way to do it was by what can only be described as a, some sort of ninja flip, and he tucked and he rolled and he did this, gym, this form of gymnastics that we've never seen before or since, but hey, Christmas time is great. I love looking back on those memories. And my hope, our hope for you here at MBF is you too, this holiday season, can reflect and reminisce on uh, great memories that have been built over the years. And um, that maybe this year, and something came up during worship uh, that I took for granted. You know, not everybody always has a lot of things to look back on with fondness, whether it be a prolonged period or even an immediate period. Uh, the holidays can be a reminder of difficulty, disappointment, heartbreak, isolation. If that is the case, my hope for you is this Christmas you can begin to build something anew. Memories that will last for years to come. Amen? That is our hope for you. So uh, to kick this sermon series off, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chad hit the stage for the first time uh, with us here at uh, New Beginnings Fellowship, and he knocked it out of the park. Pastor Chad talked about uh, the fact that God is bigger and more loving than we would ever think, and that we need him more than we can possibly imagine. Last week, Pastor Ryan and his giant bandaged thumb came up here. Is anybody here last week? Pastor Ryan. Oh, I love that guy. He, quick aside on Pastor Ryan. I get the message. It was around Thursday. And he's like, uh, hey, I'm at the emergency room um, getting, I, I hurt my thumb helping his son, of course, because uh, if you know him, he's super dad. So if he's going to hurt himself, it's going to be helping his kids. Uh, but he injured his thumb badly. He sent me some pictures and I'm, my, my stomach is just now recovering. It was pretty gnarly. But he had to get like stitches and all this stuff. And it's still, you know, comically wrapped. It's like this big. If you see him, his, his thumb bandage is this big. He's walking around giving the perma thumbs up. Um, but, you know, we, we get that message like, well, what's the plan for Sunday? And he didn't even falter. He's like, what do you mean what's the plan for Sunday? I will be there, of course, ready to roll. I might have to, like, make some tweaks based on the fact that, you know, I can't hold anything with my, with my bad hand. But I, I think that dude could lose a limb and it still wouldn't keep him out of the pulpit on Sunday. Amen. I, mean, he, I don't think he's here, but let's give it up for Pastor Ryan. We appreciate his love and dedication to our church. And he talked last week about the fact that Jesus was the absolute fulfillment of prophecy. He lived up to every single promise, didn't leave us hanging on anything. He exceeded the hype in every single way, which is mind-blowing because he had so many boxes he had to check to fulfill all the prophecy, and he did that. And without a doubt, he uh, removed every 
Um, every doubt from our minds that he is anything less than the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and the prince of peace. We talked about his birth over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about his life and his ministry and his chat alluded in uh, worship. And I love the fact they sing living hope. As he alluded in worship today, we're gonna to talk about something that's never talked about from the stages in church. We're gonna be talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's a joke, because that actually gets mentioned quite a bit from the stage. But my hope today is maybe we can look at it today for the first time with fresh eyes, different perspective, because that's my goal, my hope. You see, Jesus' sacrifice was foretold, and it changed everything. And when I say everything, I mean literally everything. I, I'm not exaggerating in any way. It changed everything forever. But the death of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ serves different purposes for the children of God. Let me explain. The death and resurrection of Jesus, while it will be forever linked together as one, today I'm going to separate the two and look at them independently because the death and the resurrection actually serve different purposes um, independent of one another. And it actually has been explored, it's been studied by Bible scholars of which is more significant to Christians, which is more important, which makes a bigger difference in our lives, our ministries, our eternity, the death or the resurrection. And the answer is, it's both, okay? They both serve different purposes. They are both forever linked, uh, regardless. But the truth is they are both equally important, accomplishing separate but necessarily related things for the kingdom. Really, the death and resurrection are undeniably inseparable. Okay, I like to think about it like this. My pal Marie, she was up here a minute ago. She makes the best cinnamon rolls you have ever tasted. She makes the best cinnamon rolls you ever tasted. She currently holds the title belt. And if anybody wants to challenge and try to take that belt from her, just bring me your cinnamon rolls. I will taste them, make a judgment. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest. I love good cinnamon roll. But what happens is, like with anything else, when she's making these cinnamon rolls, she starts with ingredients, right? She takes some eggs, and she takes flour, and she takes cinnamon and oil, and I'm pretty sure little granulated uh, uh, morsels of, of heaven and sprinkles them in there and mixes them up, and she puts it all together. And once they are mixed together, what happens? They're forever linked, combined, and there's no bringing them back apart. They, and every single one of those ingredients serves a different purpose for the flavor profile. Is that a term? I think it is. Um, of the cinnamon rolls, until I binge about three of them at Life Group, and they, they serve different purposes in my tum-tum. Love those cinnamon rolls. But I say all that to say this. Um, his burial, his death, uh, his burial proves his death. His resurrection proves that he conquered sin, hell, death, and the grave. Christ is the greatest gift that the Heavenly Father has ever given to mankind. And today I want to take some time to look at the eternal significance of both the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But first, let's pray. Please bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you um, for your holy word. We thank you for your love, dedication to us. We thank you. We can thank you from here to eternity for um, 
the gift of your son Jesus and it wouldn't be enough. I just pray you'd move in this place. You would open the hearts and the minds and the ears of everybody within the sound of my voice and it would, uh, you would allow these words to penetrate and impact their hearts um, in ways that motivate them and impact their eternity. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You see, as we've spoken about over the previous weeks, it's important to know that so much of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was foretold. We've been looking at a lot of prophecy as it pertains to the life, um, the ministry, and today the death and resurrection of Jesus. Many of these experiences, many of the emotions, the things that Jesus went through was actually paralleled in the Psalms. You see, David's great times a bunch grandfather no, excuse me, Jesus' great times a bunch, grandfather David, I said that wrong. Um, he actually went through a lot of things that are really similar to what Jesus experienced as well. Listen to what it says in Psalm 41.9. See, Jesus was betrayed. Let's see what's going on with David here. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Those are the words of David. Jesus was abandoned. Because of my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Again, those are the words of David. It was foretold in Isaiah that he would be mocked and beaten, he being Jesus. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Hundreds of years prior, this was written by the prophet Isaiah. Details from what would happen pertaining to how Christ would die, that none of his bones would be broken, uh, that lots would be cast for his clothes, even down to the fact that his thirst would be quenched with vinegar and gall. All of these things were foretold in Scripture years and years and hundreds of years before he would ever do it. Christ's resurrection was foretold. Psalms 118, 17, and 18. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Words of David. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah would conquer death. He, Jesus, would swallow up death forever, and the Lord God would wipe away tears from all the faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord God has spoken. And I love this. Even the angel on that first Easter morning says, guys, this has all been foretold, not just by the prophets, not just by the past, but by Jesus himself. Listen to what uh, the angel says in Luke 24. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, these were the angels, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He, he being Jesus, is not here. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? More on that a little bit later. Remember how he, Jesus, told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise? You should have known exactly what was going to happen. What was to unfold in and through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it seems, should have come as no surprise to anyone. The eternal weight, the measure, the magnitude of it all, it's beyond human comprehension. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He foretold a lot of exactly what was going to happen. 
And the reason he was able to do that was because of his divinity. Jesus was fully God dwelling among us, us being mankind. And yet, and yet, this is really interesting. He prayed to the Father in the waning hours right before he was crucified, saying this, Luke twenty-two, forty-two, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why would he pray that? Why would the Son of God pray, asking the Father to take away what was to come next? Because he absolutely knew the lasting impact of his sacrifice. He knew the spoils of victory were going to be taken back from death, hell, and the grave, and that victory was by and through him alone. Why would he pray that? Why would he ask the Father to reconsider? He did all that because of his humanity. Hold up, Pastor Matt. Time out. I was listening a minute ago, zoned out a few times since then, but I was listening a minute ago and you said his divinity, yes. He was both divine and man. While he was fully God in the flesh, he was also simultaneously fully man. So he would go on to feel every thorn as it was buried into his scalp. He would go on to feel the lashes as they ripped across his back, leaving his flesh in tatters. He would go on to feel the, na- the nails as they were pounded through his hands and feet. He would go on to feel them just as you and I would feel them. But he did it all anyway. He gave himself up as a sacrifice anyway. He took it all. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. It was because of Christ's humble and complete sacrifice that our debt for sin has been paid and he, Jesus, has become the atonement and the sacrifice for our sin. The guilt of our sin is wiped away. The gift, the gift we could never hope to earn or repay is ours and we are seen in the eyes of the Father as redeemed. What does that mean, Pastor Matt? That means we are saved and delivered from sin and its consequences forever in the eyes of the Father as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our very being has been transformed, eternally changed from eternal suffering and death to eternal life and relationship with God. Today, it's important for us to explore the impact and the significance specific to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, both independently and collectively. So let's start by looking at them independently first at the death of Jesus and what it means to us as Christians. The first significance of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ is this. Our our sins can no longer rule over us. Number one, our sins can no longer rule over us us. And this is covered extensively in the uh, book of Romans chapter 6, and that's where we'll be camping for this specific point. If you want to turn there at this time, I'm going to be doing a little bit of underlining because there's, there's some things here that are of the most significance and, and importance for us in our Christian faith. Listen to what it says starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death. Interesting that that's what they reference right here. Underline death. We were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into 
death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the God, the Father, ah, here's why. We, might, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. Here's what that means. Choosing a life dedicated to Christ envelops you, wraps you in his promises, wraps you in his love, wraps you in the application of what his death means to your life. And that's powerful. Romans 6 goes on to say in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. The body of sin would be brought to nothing through Christ so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. We must be, we must be uh, found dead to be raised to life in new life with him. So like Christ, our old selves are dead, buried, gone away. But while we are united with him in his death, we are united with him again in resurrected life. Our old self, sin, bondage, death, all crucified with Christ, nailed to the cross with him. So we could be made new with and through him, resurrected life, now free. Why? Because, verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Number two. Jesus' death destroyed the work of the devil. His death destroyed the work of the devil. The devil was defeated through the death, the sacrificial death of Christ. Hebrews 2.14 says it best. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That, watch this, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. The devil is defeated. So in dying, Jesus completed something that had to be done to reclaim the territory from Satan. For this was a sacrificial act done by Jesus, laying down his life, that others would be drawn to him, souls would be drawn through, to him through this demonstration of love and devotion. Reclaiming lost souls from the devil because, as it says in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been, I love this, sinning from the beginning. That's the Southern translation. Hey, that's the word of God. That's what it says. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That was his purpose. That is what he accomplished sinning from the beginning. But that doesn't matter because the Son of Man appeared to destroy those works. And this leads to number three. Ultimately, this condemned Satan to defeat forever. Satan was then therefore defeated forever. John 16, 11, judgment will come because the ruler of this world 
has already been judged. Who's the ruler of this world, guys? Hate to say it, but it's the devil. But he's already been judged. His sentence has already been dealt. Without the sacrificial death of Jesus, we would still be unforgiven, unredeemed, unloved, and unsaved. But through his death, praise God, we are instead stripping all those uns away and we find ourselves instead forgiven, redeemed, come on, loved and saved. I need someone to get excited about that today. That's awesome. Come on. The death of Christ is crucial in our salvation, which is precisely why it is the key focus of the teachings of the early apostles in the early church. Thank God that the story of Jesus doesn't end there with his death. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our very faith. And it's because of the resurrection and what it means to us. Let's look at the significance then. First, the, significant, the first significance of the resurrection of Christ is this. Number one, our salvation rises and falls on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. This cannot be understated. The resurrection of Jesus for our faith is everything. It is everything. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian faith as we know it is at best stories of a great man lost to time. It's true. Had Jesus not been raised, that's what it is reduced to. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If Christ is not physically risen from the dead, then we ourselves have no hope of resurrection ourselves. We are left in a state of hopelessness. The apostles' preaching was in vain. The believers are all to be pitied. But without the resurrection, we wouldn't be here together this morning, 2,000 plus years later, talking and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Can I get a good amen? Thank God that the story didn't end in that grave. The story is alive today because we serve a resurrected Savior. Without the resurrection, we are, as it says in Luke 1, 78 79, sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, waiting for the sunrise. That's both dark and poetic. But that's not where we're at. Let's keep going. Number two, because of his resurrection, he lives and we will live also. Because he lives, we too shall also live. So, this is beautiful. Not only is Christ alive, but as a result, we as his sons and daughters are also alive, made alive in him. The promise he made in John 14, 19 applies to our lives. Listen to what it says. These are the words of Jesus. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. It's a promise he made to the disciples that applies to us here today. Our great enemy, death has been defeated because the ultimate miracle the resurrection of Jesus, we are made alive in and through Christ. The old is gone, the new is come. The new has come, you are made new in him. Which leads me to number three, Jesus' resurrection confirms his prophecy that he would rise again. Not only did others tell of the life, ministry, death, 
resurrection of Jesus, but he did too. He made a promise on at least three occasions that he would be killed and rise again three days later. And we see this in three consecutive chapters in the book of Mark. Jesus, you have to understand, was not a man that he could lie. He was the spotless, blameless lamb of God. For him to not rise from the grave is to make him a liar of which he is not capable. He can't lie. So for him to say this, it's a guarantee. On three occasions, he foretold, he being Jesus, that he would die and rise again. Three consecutive chapters in the book of Mark, like I mentioned before, starting in Mark 8, 31. Listen to what it says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And watch this, be killed and after three days rise again. Got it? Just in case you don't, exactly one chapter later, listen to his very words, Mark 9, 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, words of Jesus, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. And just in case I wasn't clear the first two times, one chapter later, Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34. See, words of Jesus again. We are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That sounds like a promise to me, folks. He told them time and time and time again, boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna be killed. Three days later, I will rise. When I envisioned Jesus communicating this to the disciples. I just picture him being both loving and stoic, gentle, but matter of fact, looking them all dead in the eyes. Guys, this is going to happen. It has to happen. Because if it had not happened, what would that have made him? It would have made him a false prophet. He is not a false prophet. He is and was and will forever be the living God, faithful to his word. And that's why the angel at the empty tomb was able to point to the fulfilled prophecy when he had said, he's not here, he is risen, just like he said he would, right? He's not here, he's risen. Weren't you listening? It's Christmas time. I'll say all this in closing. Within the church, we know that Christmas time is a celebration, an opportunity for us as Christians to celebrate the birth of the conquering king and the spotless lamb. Jesus is both. Jesus is the conquering king. He stormed the gates of hell kicked him in, took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave devil was defeated forever. But in order to do that, he first had to be the spotless lamb. He had to be the ultimate sacrifice. He had to be laden with all of the sin and shame of the world upon his shoulders. So heinous that the father had to turn away he had to die one of the worst deaths known in human history, the death of crucifixion. All of the sin and shame 
He became the spotless lamb so he could be the conquering king. You see, Jesus' birth was the ultimate gift to all the world. A gift from our heavenly father as the world's savior to save us from sin so we could spend eternity in heaven with him forever. No more sacrifices. Praise God. But Jesus' death, resurrection, return to the Father, those are a gift too. Those are a gift too. Those provide the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, towards the end of his life here on earth, told the disciples, it is to your advantage that I would go away. So I could send a helper to indwell within all of you the very presence of God living within all of you to direct you on a path of righteousness in your life. That you may have a direct line to pray to Jesus, to advocate to the Father on your behalf. What a gracious Father we serve. These gifts that he bestows upon us, they're unimaginably gracious. I think about these gifts, metaphorically, these gifts are available to each and every one of you in this room. They are wrapped under the metaphoric tree in your life. And maybe you've been in a place, as the worship team begins to make their way back in, maybe you've been in a place in your life where you've rejected those gifts for one reason or another. Maybe it's anger or resentment towards God for something you don't understand. Maybe it's fear, insecurity. Bad things have happened to you. It's not fair. Unworthiness, whatever that may be. We don't and could never deserve the gifts that he is offering, yet the Father offers them up graciously, lovingly, enthusiastically, they are yours. I'm not saying they could be yours. They are yours. You just have to receive them today. So here in just a second, as we begin to move back into a time of worship, our prayer team is gonna come back to the front. And if you're here in this place today and you say to yourself, I have not made that decision to accept those gifts I've spent my life running away from those gifts or I accepted them once upon a time and I dropped them, didn't want them anymore, walked away. Hey, that's okay. I don't want you to walk out of here like that today. The gifts of God are yours today in this place. And when we move back into that time of worship, I invite you to run not walk. There will be people waiting, excited to pray with you and usher you back into his very presence. I think about the gift of God and Jeremy actually, Pastor Jeremy between services pointed me to a scripture that I was dancing all around and talking about this that communicates it quite eloquently. I can't, again, I can't take credit, but Ephesians 2.8 says like this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not by your own doing. It is a gift from God. Our salvation, our very salvation is a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can just open your hands and receive it. And my prayer for you today is this. Open your hands and receive it in this place here today. 
I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite my prayer partners to come forward. We're gonna move back and worship one more time. If you would, stand to your feet with me. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you with all our hearts. Your goodness, your mercy, your sacrifice is unfathomable. We thank you so very much for the gift of Jesus and everything his life, love, and dedication means to us here today. Let us live our lives dedicated to honoring him and connecting the lost, the hurting, the broken to an eternal relationship with him. I pray for the hearts of the people in this place here today that do not know you. Something, anything I said today would compel them to stop running today, make a 180 and walk into the loving embrace of their heavenly father. I pray for those that have walked away from their faith, walked away from their salvation, that today they would choose to quit running and just come home. Come back home to the father. Because he never gives up, never walks away. Lord, continue to work, continue to move, continue to connect, drawing, saint sinner alike to you. We love you. It's in the powerful, precious name of Jesus that all God's people said, amen. Love you, church. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org.